Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The ah, 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 stand alive, stand alive edition as the Bengals try to snap a two-game losing streak and stay alive in the AFC playoff hunt with a road win in Denver. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news involving Trey Hendrickson, Riley Reef, and others, and look ahead to Sunday's game in the Mile High City. My one-on-one player interview is with safety Ricardo Allen, who shares his process for dealing with a gut-wrenching loss and describes why it is so freaking hard to cover George Kittle. With two touchdown catches last week, Jamar Chase broke the Bengals' rookie record for receiving TDs with 10, and I'll speak to the legend whose record he broke, the sensational Isaac Curtis. And finally, in our Know the Foe segment, we'll take an in-depth look at the Broncos with Mike Kliss, who covers the team for Nine News in Denver. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Dawn Power Wash. I am the primary dishwasher in the Horde household, and kudos to the geniuses at Procter & Gamble for inventing Dawn Power Wash, or technically speaking, Dawn Ultra Platinum Power Wash Dish Spray. It claims to provide five times faster grease cleaning, but I'm here to tell you it removes anything and everything off of dishes. Shoot, I'm pretty sure a couple of sprays would remove fingerprints. And when you have a 15-year-old who will occasionally leave dirty dishes in the sink, it certainly comes in handy. So, thank you Dawn Power Wash. You've made spraying, wiping, and rinsing much easier. Now, let's get to this week's guests, beginning with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lapham, more than 40 years in the NFL as a player or broadcaster, do you ever remember a year where it seems like every team is so close to 500? I really don't, Dan. I really don't. I mean, it's like by now, the dust has settled a little bit, you know. People have kind of determined where they are. Uh, I remember years where there were like, you know, maybe five or six teams still in the hunt with a month to go. How is it going to sort out? But, you know, to have a, a dozen, you know, in the AFC alone, still in the playoff picture, like we said a few times, this is an early Christmas for the National Football League. <laughs> this is what Santa, <laughs> they were hoping Santa might deliver. Everybody is in the hunt. The interest is probably at an all-time high. It's, uh, it's the perfect storm for the National Football League. We've got quite a bit of injury-related news this week. Let's start with Trey Hendrickson. So last week he's down on the turf. They call for a cart. We breathed a sigh of relief when he managed to walk off the field. Now it looks like he's going to play. How crucial is that for the final four weeks, and what do you think that says to his teammates? Yeah, I, th- I think that initially uh, – Trent Williams gave him a pretty good shot, and he and he was tor- he was torqued a little bit. He was twisting to start to pursue a play, and he got hit, and his body positioning was just wrong, particularly with the force that Trent Williams can hit you. And I think he felt like he had kind of messed up a disc. You know, it was that painful. But you know, when you have uh, spasms like that, it, they can be brutally painful. And it, it, 
looks like, unfortunately, it might be the case where it just had a very, very severe spasm that he's going to be working through. And, you know, he's going to have to be smart probably about it and make sure that there's all the muscles around that, that vertebrae and, and uh, the disc and all those kind of things are it, everything's fine and calmed down. Um, in, in the early stages of the week of practice here, probably won't do much of anything. But to have him as a rush guy off the edge, it's huge. I mean, 12 and a half sacks, he's so consistent. He gets, you know, at least a sack every game, it seems like. And it, this this is a good football team. This is a pretty darn good offensive line. I mean, it's it's solid. I, I look at their numbers. I look at the personnel, and then I look at them statistically, and I can't figure out how they're 7 and 6. Their number, there's, there's not any glaring thing. It's like, oh, that's the reason they lost, you know, some of these football games. But this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good football team. And Garrett Bowles is a good left tackle, particularly in pass protection. Very good athlete. He's got very good movement skills. So having Trey Hendricks out there is is a, a big, big plus. There's, there's no question about it. And uh, and it would have been a, a tough blow, to say the least, to not have him for any extended time frame. How big is the Mike Munchak factor when you talk about Denver's offensive line? Huge. I think Munchak is uh, is as good as there is in the National Football League. He was a great player, and uh, he's made he's developed a lot of players. You know, he'll take good players and make them great, great players, and make them Hall of Famers. He he just he elevates guys uh, over time. He just people his the way the way he teaches it. He simplifies it to the point where players are. It's an easy thing to respond to. And I think they respond to him as a former player and a great former player, Hall of Fame caliber player, and um, and he's he's got a track record from a coaching standpoint that is something that you know I, I'm going to listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about, and he he's got a great reputation, and uh, it's it's a reputation that's well earned, well deserved, and I I think his players you know basically worship the ground he walks on. Mm-hmm. Getting back to injuries, I'm sure Riley Reef would play if he could, but it sounds like the ankle injury is bad enough that he'll be out this week, so Isaiah Prince goes instead. How big of a drop-off is there from a guy with a decade of snaps in the NFL to a guy who's barely started in Isaiah Prince? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big thing is when, when you start going against defenses that will run, you know, some different looks and, and different things, and, and defensively they will they'll go to a five-man look out of their base defense, and they'll they'll change it up a little bit. They'll run, uh, they'll cover the, the center and the and the and the, the, the offensive tackles. And then they'll have two edge guys outside of those offensive tackles and leave the guards uncovered like a three four look. But then they'll run five defensive linemen and they'll cover the the center, the guard, and the tackle away from the tight end. That's called an under. And with five defensive linemen and two to the other side, and then they'll go over. And they'll stack it, you know, center guard and tackle to the tight end side, and leave the the opposite guard uncovered. So they do they do a few different looks up front, and they'll do different things out of it, different twists and different blitz packages. So um, I think I think that uh, there is there is a little bit of recognition and communication and making sure you're you're all on the same page. And I think that's the thing where. Riley Reef, a lot of this would be like, oh man, this is kind of old hat, second nature. Whereas Isaiah Prince, like, ah, this might be the first time I've seen some of this stuff. So I think that's the, that's the big thing is is the is the mental part of it. I think I think physically he, he he's getting better and better. And like Brian Callahan said, he's got two things: he's got length and he's got athleticism. And if you've got some leverage to you and you can move, 
you have a shot. I mean, it starts with your feet and ends with the hands. If you've got long levers uh, that are manipulating and operating those hands, and you've got feet to get you in position, you get a chance to block people in this league. Darius Phillips went on injured reserve with a shoulder injury on Tuesday. He obviously had a lousy game last week. I think the piling on was a little excessive. It's not like he'd fumbled a million times this year, and he'd done a reasonably good job as a kickoff and punt returner, but I digress. Who do you think steps in as the punt returner and as the kickoff returner? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you're going to think Irwin probably is, is a guy that they're, they're giving strong consideration to. Um, the thing with Tyler Boyd is, you know, it's a he's he's going to be running a lot of routes uh, as a as you know the third as a, in the, those three receiver packages as a slot receiver, and particularly this week the thin air, you run a go route, you know, and and then you're you know you're you're run a few of those during the course of the game, and there's fatigue kind of wears on you more and more, and then you're a return guy, you add that responsibility to it, and you know I just I just think that it's. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I think that this week it might be a little bit, a uh, little bit much to ask. And I think in general, um, if if you're hoping that the offense is out there for the number of snaps that are out there, and he's running routes on every single, a high percentage of those snaps, not every single one of them. Some of them he's blocking, obviously, but uh, to add that to it, I think is uh, is a pretty pretty good load. I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying uh, I, I know guys have done it in the past. I you know. Back in the day when we walked in a foot of snow and had to walk five miles to school, guys were doing that both ways, uphill. Guys were uphill both ways. Guys were doing that kind of stuff. Um, but the game was so much different, you know, uh, and, and they're so much smarter about a lot of things uh, in terms of player overload and player safety and all that sort of thing. So um, it, it, there's there's a lot to consider there. But uh, I, I, think, I think Irwin, the thing that Irwin has shown is he'll catch the football. And I don't care <laughs> the, the, the very first thing that has to happen. And Darren Simmons, I've heard him scream it many, many times over the years. First thing, catch the football. You know, I mean, it doesn't do any good if you're a dynamic return guy and the ball's rolling around on the ground and they're falling on top of it. Puka Williams up from the practice squad to return kicks? Yeah, he's really struggled, you know, the last game that he that he did it. And, and that's a small sample size. You, you hate to label a guy, I don't think he can do it because he's shown he can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting if, if that's another option. And if, and if Darren Simmons decides, uh, you know, that's that's something to, to think about. You, you you do think, though, in Denver, in the, the rarefied air, I mean, the kickers, I, I remember – all of our place kickers, punters, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, if I punted here my whole career, you know, how do you not make the Pro Bowl here with this? There's, there's absolutely nothing that is, uh, is preventing the football from, <laughs> from coming back to earth, you know. I mean, you get a lot of more distance. The higher that you're talking about in the elevation, the more of a factor it is. And for the, for the punters and, and place kickers, it's a, uh, it, it's a big plus. Although, you know, I, I will say, that obviously every year you're going to have the, the place kicker uh, for the Denver Broncos have, have big range and also have a ton of touchbacks. And, and this year's McManus is no exception, 51 touchbacks, third in the NFL. You know, you're, you're crushing the football up there in, in that air. But I, I still, I would, I'd hang it high and get it up there. I mean, it could probably almost feel like it's going to the moon before it comes back to earth. You could pin people inside the 20 uh, multiple times and it's happened to the Bengals this year when they've 
had those high trajectory kickoff returns. They haven't gotten out past the 20-yard line. The Bengals have been wildly unpredictable from week to week. Is that part of the learning process for a young team that hasn't been in contention for several years? Yeah, I think I think it is. I think that that is part of it. Um, I, I just I think that you you look around the National Football League, like we said, Dan. So many teams are in the hunt still, and one of the reasons that so many teams are in the hunt, one of the reasons for it is the inconsistency of play from one one week to the next. We've kind of documented on on a week to week basis, but you know the one thing that this football team has done, um, you know they've 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 had three wins. By 19 points or uh, four wins by 19 points or more, and two losses by 19 points or more. So it's been, you know, really, really good and really, really bad, and everything in between. Uh, I, I would like to see here down the playoff stretch, as such, the push to the playoffs, that they start to play very, very uh, good, consistent. Uh, complementary football, complete football games, all three phases. It hasn't happened yet this year. And I'd like to see it happen, you know, boy, a couple of times in the last four games, maybe more if possible, but to have one of those games where everything clicked, it hasn't, uh, hasn't occurred yet. It's come close, but even in their wins when they've pulled away, it's been a game until they've pulled away in the, in the third or fourth quarter. I mean, I'd like to see them play with a lead. You know, they, they really haven't jumped out to a, an early lead in, in, in a football game where it changes the dynamic of everything of the play calling on both sides of the football. It changes, changes the whole, whole ball of wax. I mean, um, you know, we talked about the two-game losing streak at home. They never had a lead in eight quarters until overtime. That's the first lead they had was by three points in overtime. Uh, you know, you, you dig yourself holes like that because now they know what it's like. <laughs> They've had to dig out a 24-point hole, 24 nothing. They're down two scores in the fourth quarter because they've had to dig out of a hole. If they start doing that to other people a little bit, um, it, it, it's a totally different game of football. I can tell you, I've been on both sides of it, and it is night and day for an offensive lineman how, uh, how difficult it is and how easy it is and how your mental approach is affected by that. So three years ago when teams were looking to hire head coaches, the Broncos zigged where everybody else zagged. The Bengals were one of the teams, and this was the norm, that went for the hot, young, offensive-minded coach. And the Broncos went to a 60-year-old guy who had been an NFL defensive coordinator for a couple of decades in Vic Fangio, and obviously he's had tremendous success as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. The Broncos are number two in the NFL and fewest points allowed. What stands out about a Vic Fangio coach defense? Yeah, it's, it's that everybody uh, – the personnel that they choose fits his scheme very well. He has a real good feel for, for that part of it. And they all are very, very disciplined. They're all where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. They don't necessarily have guys that jump off tape like, wow, oh, geez, look at that. But, man, it's like an amoeba. I mean, they, it's totally in conjunction. There's no disjointedness to it anywhere. Watching them on tape, it's it's so fluid it's it, it is it's like it's choreographed i mean it, it it's amazing to watch um and and that's you know that's that's the thing about that uh that defense i i do think they do have great players in the secondary i think it's the best back end combined uh maybe in the national football league i, I think it's as good as anybody's and and when you look at it one of the great matchups in this game 
of the three Bengals wide receivers, Chase, Higgins, and Boyd, 60 catches, 57 and 55. No other team has three wide receivers with 55 or more catches. They got three players, but it's running backs or tight ends and that sort of thing. Against, you know, these two, two guys in the secondary, Simmons is safety with five picks is tied for third in the league, and Sertan with four is tied for eighth in the National Football League. Nobody else has a, a duo, a dynamic duo with nine interceptions, and nobody else has a, a, a terrific trio of wide receivers that are, are as balanced as what the Bengals have. So it's going to be a it's going to be a very interesting interesting battle, I think, in, in that way. But it's put together well. Uh, it's constructed. The schematic is so is so sound. They're they're very very stout defensively. And I I have to give credit to my uh, former first roommate I ever had with the Cincinnati Bengals, Billy Kolar. He was the first pick of the draft in my draft in 1974, first round pick for the Bengals out of Montana State. And uh, I played with him in the Senior Bowl, and he won the Dodge Charger. He was player of the game. Mm. He won the he won the new car. He was driving around in a baby blue Dodge Charger convertible. So he was he was pimping all over the place, man. <laughs> uh, but just a great player in terms of I mean first step quickness, relentless, just effort guy. That's how his defensive linemen play. They penetrate. He was he was unbelievable that way. He would penetrate, disrupt. That's that's what he believes in. He doesn't like this two gap stuff. He wants to get an edge. He wants to penetrate. He wants to disrupt. And all of his defensive linemen are, you know, when I take a look at it, it's like, oh, that's Billy Kolar's influence right there, boy. I think Chubb is their best guy, you know, now on the edge from a rusher standpoint. But this this kid, Jones, 93, he's a disruptive guy. I can, I can just hear Billy right now standing right behind him in practice in his ear. Come on, Jonesy. Come on, give me something. Give me all you got. I mean, that's just the way he – he was a son of a gun. In pass rush drill, I mean, he would he would bring he would bring it in one on one pass rush drill like it was the you know the last quarter of the Super Bowl. He was just a great effort guy. Um, so th- that's what they have up front. Then they have linebackers that can run behind those guys, and then they have that that secondary. So it's well conceived, it's well put together, and and like you said, Dan, they're they're second in the NFL uh, in, in in points allowed. They're only giving up. Uh, like 17.8 points per game in their wins, in their wins, it's it, it's crazy. They've they've allowed 10.7 uh, points per game in their victories. In the seven wins, they've only given up 75 points. Mm. The most that anybody scored against them is 16 points by the Cowboys down in Dallas. The Chargers they held to 13 points. I mean, <laughs> that's that's getting it done. So. Uh, this defense, it bends, but it doesn't break. I mean, they, they, do, they do a lot of things well. They're second in the NFL and first downs a lot as well. I mean, they, they keep you out of the end zone. Uh, they don't allow you to move the chains all that easily. It's, uh, the Bengals are seventh in the NFL in scoring. They're second in the NFL in points allowed. Their red zone uh, defense is good. Defensively, they're eighth in the NFL, allowing a touchdown only 51.7% of the time. Seven times they haven't allowed a point. That's in the top ten in the league. So it's going to be it'll it'll definitely be a big big battle between uh, between the Bengals offense and the and that Denver Broncos defense. It's going to be a stirring battle. And the Jones you mentioned, Draymond Jones, is a former Buckeye yep. who's from Cleveland St. Ignatius High School. The Broncos, like the Bengals, are seven and six. Denver started three and zero, oh, but then you look at the teams they beat. The Giants are four and nine. The Jags are two and eleven. The Jets are three and ten. So that's combined nine and thirty. Then they lost four in a row, including the other three teams in the AFC North. The Ravens, Steelers, and Browns all beat them. 
They've gone four and two since. You referenced the Dallas game. That was a great win, 30-16 to in Dallas. They won by four touchdowns last week against Detroit. If the Bengals play their A game, their low turnover A game, which we've seen on, obviously, several occasions this year, do the Bengals win? I think think that's what they're going to have to do to win the football game because that's one thing that Denver doesn't do. They don't give the ball away. You know, their turnovers are – they've only got 15 giveaways tied for seventh in the National Football League. So you mentioned Vic Fangio. He wants to run the football. I mean, in the the games that they've run the ball, thirty in their last five games, they've won three and lost two. In the games they've won, they've run the ball 30 or more times. In the games they've lost, they've thrown it 30 or more times. So their formula is run the football. Against Detroit, they ran the ball 28 straight times. So they, they want to, he wants to pound the ball. He wants to control the clock. And they've done a great job of that. They're fifth in the NFL, 31 minutes and 37 seconds a game. Because on fourth down, Dan, that's the other thing on this game, fourth down, they've gone 14 for 22. That's a lot of attempts and a lot of success. That's tied for second best in the league at 63.6%. Teams gone it for it against them, too, 23 times. They've only allowed eight conversions. That's second in the NFL at 34.8%. So they've dominated fourth down, and that helps you dominate time of possession because you're extending drives, and it's almost like a turnover. You're ending drives with people on downs. It's like you know, you're taking the ball away. There's no kick. The, the, the drive hasn't ended in a punt, uh, extra point, or field goal. So that, that's the reason that they're fifth in the National Football League in, in time of possession. So that, that's his whole, his, his, his whole M.O. Um, you know, and they, they want to limit their mistakes – and capitalizing the opponent mistakes. That's what they, they play sound defense and minimize their mistakes and, and wait for the opponent, the opposition to make mistakes. That to me is a Vic Fangio blueprint for how he wants to play football. So I, I think that, that that's the, the huge thing, Dan, is if they give it away, they're dead meat. I mean, they're, they're in serious trouble. Um, the, the, the Bengals on the season in terms of uh, turnovers, it's, it, it's crazy. Uh, their their numbers, they're four and one this year when they're in the plus category. Two and zero oh when it's even. One and five when they've lost the turnover margin. But even more significant than that, the, they've only, in the seven wins they have five uh, giveaways. In the in the six losses, sixteen giveaways. So that's the that's almost something you can track. It's 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 that simple. If you take care of the football. You have a hell of a chance of winning the football game. If you don't, you're in trouble. How do you broadcast at high altitude? <laughs> Is that a strength? <laughs> I will. I will say though, you know, I, I remember the first time I, we played there in 1975 and beat them there, and then lost ten in a row mm. going out there to Denver. And in 2017, the Bengals broke that streak and won out there. But I remember the first time I went out there it was my first year as a starter. And it was kind of early, uh, early in uh, in the season, and playing against Randy Gratishar and Rulon Jones and Reuben Carter and all these guys. And man, I am geeked, man. I, and I'm running around and have the adrenaline. <laughs> it wasn't like I was couldn't breathe, but you do get winded faster. So you just have to you have to make a little bit of an adjustment. Um, but you, you can't dwell on it. You can't let it get in your head. There's, there's no there's no question about it. But uh, yeah, it'll be, and and we're up higher. We're we're even. We're a few yards higher in our booth than they are on field level. Right. 
5,280 feet, but add, I don't know, how many, couple hundred feet there? Sure. I mean, we're 5,480 feet, not 280. <laughs> we'll be lightheaded. <laughs> really? Really? It'll be, huh, huh, what's going on? It's going to be, uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun. I do remember, uh, this is in the old stadium though. It was this old rickety wooden press box and those fans rocked and they would do the sway and stuff. It's like, man, the, the booth started moving. Mm. Literally, it would feel, it would move like an inch or two. It was crazy. It would actually rock. I'd be, we'd be, holy mackerel. You got to hold on for dear life here. We won't have to deal with that this time though. For much more on Sunday's game, tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday afternoon from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530 or on the Media app by searching for ESPN 1530. Now time for this week's one-on-one player conversation. I caught up with safety Ricardo Allen this week, a few days before his 30th birthday. He was part of a Super Bowl team with the Falcons, and Ricardo has valuable advice for his younger teammates as they head into a critical four-game stretch. Ricardo, this is your seventh year in the NFL. You are coming up on game number 100 if you include playoff games. How do you deal with a gut-wrenching loss like last week? Do you go home and play with the kids? Do you watch Sunday night football with a glass of wine or two? What's your process? Uh, I typically go home and I try to play with my kids and, you know, talk the game over with my wife uh, at first. And then later on, I, I probably... Uh, stay up and watch a little bit of the, the Sunday night football and then uh, I play a little bit of Madden so I got I got to I got to go to sleep with a win at least I, I try to get on there and beat everybody online so you were out there for quite a few defensive snaps last week and involved in trying to cover George Kittle which obviously is hard to do is he about as close to unstoppable as any player in this league yeah, he is a, a a very tough player to to get out there and game plan against it. Um, you know, he he's strong, he's fast, he can he, he does really good job of blocking defensive line. He does really good job of uh, you know, getting good matchup cuz he's 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 strong enough to fight with the defensive lineman. He's fast enough to run with the DBs, you know. So it's like uh he has like a a good blend and then he has a really good uh head coach who also is a good uh, offensive coordinator who um knows how to get him into like voids, knows how to get him into spots that uh it's not many people, and he'll get a lot of one-on-ones and stuff. So they, they do a really good job of uh, featuring him to get him, um, you know, good completions and easy catches and stuff because he is a really good guy with the ball in his hand. And then the times you do cover him, well, he still makes the catch. Yeah, yeah. He, so so that's what it is. It's like he he, he is a, a freak of a nature, like a like athlete at that. So, you know, the coach does a good job of scheming stuff up to make it real easy for him a lot of times. But even when you do cover him well, like you said, he, do, will, he still will catch it. We're chatting with Ricardo Allen. You're seven and six with four games to go. If you can go three and one, you would definitely make the playoffs. Very similar to what you encountered with Atlanta back in 2017. Then you were seven and five and went three and one down the stretch to make it. Is there anything you learned from that experience that this team needs to do? When it comes down to those those tough games at the end, um, you got to do whatever you can to, to pull them out. You got to you got to you keep you know scratching and clawing and fighting. And once you see an opportunity to, to close the door on like a really good team, because all these teams we're playing right now, as you can see this year in the league, the the, the records are weird. Uh, everyone has almost near the same record. There's, there's a couple teams who separated themselves, but I would see I, I, it seems like that this year the records seem to be like uh, fairly close and. Um, when you get a chance to close the door on a team, you have you have to you have to take their chances, and you can't give them a chance to fight back because, as you can see, like we're a fighting team, we'll fight back from you know twenty points down, 
but also uh, other teams will always keep fighting to the end. And as you can see, like uh, no matter what, these games statistically come down to, uh, I guess, one touchdown. I don't know, I think like 80% of the games typically come down to, you know, less than one touchdown. So if we understand that, we got to know that it's going to be a fight to the end. It has been kind of a wild roller coaster ride of a year. There have been games where you've dominated really good teams and then frustrating losses where you've kind of shot yourselves in the foot. Is that part of the learning process for a young team that has not been in playoff contention in recent years? Yes. You know, even though no one wants to hear that, uh, just do the research of any championship team. You know, I, I, I listen to a lot of Bill Walsh and I listen to a lot of like old school uh like football and stuff and it always typically seemed that it's like a three-year window for a new coach to come in first of all before a team typically gets on like a consistent winning path but uh with that uh up and down it also comes with uh you know winning some games you know and showing your team that like okay you can beat really good teams but also losing some games to some teams that you know you may sometimes consider a trap game and then you have to what really good teams is, is they uh they find out how to just give every team respect and let, you know, every win be equal because it doesn't matter. Like, at the end of the day, if you go out there and you beat team by 40 points or you go out there and beat a team by one point. And even the same with the losses, at the end of the day, it's all window dressing. Just get the win. Let's just get this win. At the end of the day, I just want to beat the team. I don't care if they won five championships before or they've never been to a playoff game. Like, let's give them the respect and just beat them. We're chatting with Ricardo Allen. The Bengals' secondary is made up some, of some great leaders. Mike Hilton, Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Chidabe Awuja, yourself. What stands out to you about this group? Man, it's, um, this is one of the most like uh, accountable, I could say, groups that uh, I've ever been around. Um, everyone in here takes pride in like knowing their calls, making their plays, being in the right spot. And it's, it's, it's not a team or a group that very like never really points fingers at the other person like they always looking for what can I do better how can I get better um you know Cheeto coming in all the time and just being willing to uh take the challenge of the number one receiver you know um you know Eli even just jumping in there and you know taking into a spot that when Trey went down he was just ready to you know fill the spot you know Jesse and Vaughn always you know filling the void of being the leaders in the room, trying to do it the right way. And then, you know, Mike, who is a, another ad on this team that's just not willing to, you know, not afraid to stay and stand up in front of the, the group and correct the group and not afraid to be that guy that, you know, says what needs to be said. So, you know, we have a, a good group and a good blend of guys in our room, and, you know, we're just going to keep fighting. You head to Denver this week. You've played there before. You were in for every snap and a win over the Broncos. Could you feel a difference playing at high altitude? Yes, yeah. It, there, there's just, there's a little difference. Um, you you'll see that uh, some of the games that you play in, um, just even warming up out there, uh, you can you can feel a little bit of the difference. It's uh, you know, once the game starts and stuff like that, you you already tired. Like no matter what, just like playing hard. But it is like a, a small difference. Just warming up, you can you can. It's it's something there. It's kind of like hard to say like what it is, but you feel yourself just to get a, a little bit more fatigue. You have to make sure you stay hydrated and make sure you only like your cardio hard this week. This is a two-headed monster team with two running backs that each have more than 700 rushing yards, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. How significant is that when you're on the other side of the ball? That is a tough feat because you always think about, like, um, us as athletes, uh, at least myself, um, I'm always looking at a team and trying to figure out, like, okay, what personnel do I believe is the easiest personnel that if we was to get the matchup on defense, uh, 
what personnel could I feel that I can focus more on the wide receivers than having to focus on the backfield? And sometimes it is a backup running back, some backup running backs in this league that if you take out, like, the starter, the second one is, like, a guy that, like, none of them is, like, you know, no running back is a bomb, but um, some of them you really don't have to focus on. With both of these guys, it's, it's not the case because you take, you know, Gordon out and you put, you know, the, the young buck in and he is – you know, I guess the best in the league right now breaking tackles and after contact. So, you know, Gordon is already a tough feat within himself, and then you put the, the young buck in. And then their wide receivers are not, you know, scrubs either. So you got to be smart enough as a safety to stay deep enough because they will beat you deep. And then you got to also be, you know, good enough to come down and make an open field tackle. So, like, that's all what I'm always thinking of is, like, you know, they got good enough wide receivers to stretch the field that's going to keep me deep enough, but also I got to be able to play at level one when this running back breaks out behind the linebackers to, you know, make the play so it don't go for a long down. So when I'm thinking about, like, those two total opposite things, that's why I believe this is, a you know, a special, like, offense, even though it doesn't always seem with the record. A couple more questions for Ricardo Allen. It's your first year with the Bengals after six with the Falcons. What's it been like for you to be in a new city and live in a new city? Oh, it's been amazing. This uh, city is, like, very welcoming. It's a, a genuine family. You, like, feel uh, everyone loves the Bengals. Everyone's all in for the community. Um, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's, it's been really cool. It's, I, I always wonder, like, how would it feel to uh, go somewhere else knowing that um, I was with the Bengals, I mean, with the Falcons for so long. And um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it a lot, just a, a new feel. Everybody's uh, taking me, you know, very well down here. Um Everyone loves it down here. The food's great. Uh, good living for my kids and stuff. Good school system. So it's, it's been, you know, all I can dream of so far. Just a couple more wins will help. <laughs> no question about that. Last thing, you turned you turn 30 the day before the Broncos game on Sunday. I've said in a previous conversation, I believe you will be an NFL head coach someday, and I still feel that way. Do you want to play as long as you possibly can, or are you getting close to the point where you want that coaching career to get underway? Yeah, see, um, that is probably my toughest question that um, I'm battling with actually right now myself is, uh, you know, like this is my first year coming to a team and um, uh, actually just being like a, a piece of like maybe a guy that just, you know, sometimes just used in certain situations and things like that. And, um, you know, which is which is cool if it's a guy who is okay with uh, – was settling in a sense, um, and um, me, I, I want to come over here. I'm giving this team and giving everything I got, you know, to to the Bengals and all I have. But that uh, that coaching piece is something that uh, is is pulling at me, and um, I don't know, you know, like I'm, I'm hitting 30, which is uh, something that I always wanted to go for, and you, you never know in this league, you know, one year you can be, you know, with a team, and you know, I'm on one year deals right now, so uh, one year I can be with a team, and the next year I, I, I might not be, so. I, I try to take it, you know, day by day as as uh, as much as I can, but I'm always ready for any opportunity that uh, presents itself. So uh, next year, let's say if I wasn't to get, you know, re-signed with the Bengals or uh, any team was to go, I probably would be, you know, in my in my coaching path as, as soon as possible. I probably wouldn't take any time down. I would go. I, I've uh, had some undercover offers in a sense. Uh, but right now, all I'm focusing on is uh, trying to get this team to the playoffs as, as much as I can. Trying to, you know, throw this body and have as much fun as I can and, and give all I can to this team because, you know, I, I, I want to make the most of it before I do uh, hang it up and start working for my next, uh, you know, way up the mountain. You're seven years in, which is already an incredible accomplishment. Happy birthday this weekend, and thanks for the time. Appreciate you. Thank you.
Allen has been an excellent addition to the Bengals' locker room. He was a four-time team captain in Atlanta. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Last week, Jamar Chase made Bengals history as he joined Chris Collinsworth and A.J. Green as the only Bengals rookies to top 1,000 receiving yards. Jamar is 23 yards away from breaking A.J.'s record. Chase has already broken the team record for touchdown catches by a rookie with 10. And this week, I spoke to the Bengals legend who had nine back in 1973. The Bengals have had some remarkable receivers in their history, but none better than Isaac Curtis, who was so good that the league had to change the rules to prevent defensive backs from holding him and hitting him all over the field. Isaac, great to be with you. Let's start with Jamar Chase, who has more than 1,000 receiving yards and 10 touchdown catches in his first 13 NFL games. What are your impressions of numero uno so far? I'm extremely impressed. I tell you what, he's a dynamic receiver that can just, uh, that really opens the fill up. I mean, he can stretch the fill and uh, just, the, just his athletic ability and his, you know, his ability to get open. Uh, and he's, you know, he's a good young receiver. I tell you what, he's going to be a dynamic receiver for a lot of years with Cincinnati with the Bengals there. He, they're they're uh, very lucky to have him because he's, uh, he's a tremendous athlete. You were the first prominent Bengal to wear the number 85. Then Chad Johnson came along, then Tyler Eifert, now T. Higgins. How about T? What stands out when you watch T perform? He does everything. I mean, he he he, he runs really great routes. He catches the ball. He, he gets open. Um, he's just a, uh, you know, they Cincinnati, they have a really uh, tremendous uh, young receiving core. And I think they're going to be around. They're going to be just going to get better as the years, uh, as the years uh, go along, uh, especially with, uh, with Burroughs, you know, being so young. Uh, they got a bright, bright future uh, with that receiving core. And let's get to the third member of the so-called Cincinnati three-way, Tyler Boyd. What makes him great in the slot? Just his ability to, to just to read the defenses, to make to to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, you know, he comes and gets in and out of his breaks well. He catches the ball well. Um, all I just say, all of them are really, really impressive uh, uh, wide receivers, but uh, they are. Uh, they're, they're going to be they're going to be good for quite a while, I think. And they, like I say, they can only get better. We are visiting with the great Isaac Curtis. You played with one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history, and Ken Anderson. Do you see a lot of Kenny when you watch Joe Burrow? I think his his accuracy, some of his leadership, you know. But uh, but but I think from an accuracy standpoint, uh, Burrow's is extremely accuracy. I mean, and he just. Uh, you know, he just he just has a presence that he that stands up. That's you know, when he stands and gets in that pocket, you know, and that uh, that I think uh, that that uh, all the guys can fill and receivers can fill it, and uh, and he's just a tremendous tremendous quarterback. But like I say, he throws a good ball. Looks like it's an easy ball to catch. Kenny was very accurate and threw a very good ball to catch. You know, and his timing with his quarter with his uh, receivers were, were great. Uh, Burl's timing with his receivers are, uh, are, are really, really great. And I think I can say that I think it's only going to get better as the years, uh, as the years go by, the more they play together. 
Isaac, I referenced how you changed the NFL. They started the Isaac Curtis rule basically to stop defensive backs from mugging wide receivers, at least after the first five yards from the line of scrimmage. Is the NFL a more entertaining game because of the Isaac Curtis rule? I actually think so. You know, I think it's it's opened up uh, the passing game. It's kind of making it more of a wide open uh, uh, league. The passing game is wide open. And, and I think that's really good for spectators. But yeah, I think it, it has opened it up quite a bit. And, you know, back in the days when I was coming up, you know, of course, they didn't have that rule. They can cut you, chop you, they can do whatever they want. And uh, I think the one thing that really spurred that on was we played the Miami Dolphins uh, in the playoff game. And Essex Johnson was a tremendous running back. I think it was probably the first play of the game or second play offensive play. Essex Johnson broke through, through the middle, got hit, hurt his knee. And the, and the next thing was just, let's just take Isaac this Curtis out of the game and they just started coming up they would just cut you you know uh, uh they wouldn't try to cover you I mean they would just try to take you out and that's what happened is it started becoming that type of a game where you, I would have a corner that would roll up and just come to try to cut me sometimes I'd have a corner roll up try to hold you up and then there's an outside linebacker that come and try to cut you out from the side so um it, it has really opened the game up and that's how that rule was spurred on you know with Paul Brown going to the rules committee, uh, talking with them about, you know, what they're doing to wide receivers. And, you know, you got playmakers and you're, you're, you're not trying to cover them or contain them. What you're doing is just trying to take them out. And so they uh, came up with that, uh, with that five yard uh, bump rule, you know, after five yards, you cannot, you got to, you know, disengage with the, uh, with the wideouts, uh, which is, which was really a good rule. You know, it, it's, it's, it took some time because initially when it passed, it, it wasn't helping that much, but, uh, you know, I've never really complained about it because that's the way the game was played back then. Did defensive backs ever joke with you that you made it much harder on them once that rule was passed? I had a couple of them that said that made, it's, uh, made it, it's not fair. <laughs> you know, and, now, and especially when you get some of these receivers that can run and big and go downfield after five yards, you can't, you can't touch them. Uh, you know, you got to disengage with them. It, it makes it, it makes it very difficult on a defensive back. Uh, it, it really, it really does. But uh, I think it's uh, for the better of the game and, and some of the other changes that they've made uh, in the league is better for the, much better for the game. And long, you know, like the cutting where we used to crack back and cut and get, go below the waist, you know, all that stuff is, is cut out. And that, and that stops a lot of leg and knee injuries. Uh, so I think a lot of the root changes have uh, made the game a lot, a lot better, a lot safer, but sometimes it does drive me crazy the way they throw some of the flags with when they say pass interference and I'm looking at pass interference, you know, that's nothing, you know, but uh, just incidental contact. My broadcast partner, Dave Lapham says, if you had played today with the way that they throw the ball, your statistics would have been crazy. Do you ever wonder what it would have been like if you were playing now? I think it would, it would be fun. I don't think about it too much anymore, but uh, at times I, I thought how much fun it is uh, to watch the game now and, and uh, how much freedom the wide receivers have, at least, like I say, at least from being hit and pushed and, uh, you know, on the, on the field. Um, but, you know, back uh, when I came in, we were more balanced. It was a more balanced game, more balanced offense. You had more running. It just seemed to be more, more balanced. Now it's, it's uh, leaned towards uh, more wide open, a lot of, uh, of a passing game. So, yeah, I think the statistics would have been much better, you know, but, you know, it is what it is. I came along too early. <laughs>
Well, this is the 40th anniversary of the 1981 Super Bowl team, Isaac, and you averaged 16 and a half yards per catch that year. All these years later, what does it mean to you to have been part of the first Bengals team to make it to a Super Bowl? Oh, I think it was, it, that was a very special time because I think when you, you know, even as a young kid, when you're coming in the league and, and you're playing, that is the one goal that every, every player that's, that's, uh, that comes in the league uh, would love to play in the Super Bowl and that's everybody's goal. And so to have, have the opportunity to be able to play in the Super Bowl uh, with the team that I played with, uh, with, with Kenny and Chris and Lewis Breeden and no, I mean, just, you know, Reggie Williams, just all the guys we had, we had a tremendous team and we were, we were a very close team. Uh, we were a good team, but we were very close uh, uh, as, a, as a, as a group as well. But um, I couldn't, you know, of course it would have been better if we'd have won it, but, uh, but it was certainly special to uh, have the opportunity to play in a Super Bowl, especially with the group of guys that I had the opportunity to play with, uh, like I say, it was a tremendous uh, team. We had a lot of fun together on the field, off the field. Uh, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't ask for anything else. Does it feel to you, Isaac, like the Bengals are building a contender with Joe Burrow at quarterback? Oh, I think so. I thought when I watched him last year, I said, "Boy, I tell you what, they got him a franchise quarterback. He's a real deal," and I'm really, I'm really impressed with him. He's, he's just got such a, a great air about himself, and. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a nice, cool, calm head. Um, um, the way he sits back there in that pocket, uh, he's, he's good. He's good. And I think uh, we can keep him healthy. He's going to be good for a lot of years. We got some really good young quarterbacks in the league, all over the league. But uh, I think Burroughs is one of the special ones, and I think he will be for years to come. I know Joe loves the receivers that he has, but I guarantee he would have loved throwing to you. And it's great to talk to one of the best to ever do it. Thanks so much for your time, Isaac, and happy holidays. Well, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me and enjoy the holidays. Last but not least, it's time for this week's Know the Foe segment. When the Broncos lost four straight games and traded away Von Miller, I wrote them off. But they've played well since, including a dominant win over the Cowboys in Dallas. I asked Denver reporter Mike Kliss about it when he joined Lapp and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Yeah, that is funny how things work in sports sometimes, isn't it? Uh, it's uh, for some reason uh, the Vaughn Miller trade uh, wasn't a white flag. It uh, was more of a, a kick in the pants uh, for the for the Bronco players. They got a little healthier. They got Jerry Judy back. They got Bradley Chubb back. They were out during that uh, four game losing streak with uh, with ankle injuries. Uh, that was a factor. Um, I think uh, Fangio. Uh, tighten up his defense. They had some inside linebacker problems. They're they're now on their. Uh, they've played eight, uh, eight players at the two inside linebacker spots this year. Which, if you add it up, that's uh, that you're down to your four stringers. And uh, but the rookie Brandon Browning's playing better. They uh, they got some guys that weren't very physical, so they've been a little more decent stopping the run. And they've done a better job of running the ball themselves. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, uh, you know, they really stepped up. The matchups have been good uh, for the Broncos. You know how it goes. Uh, everybody is, it, you know, I say this, it, it seems like nobody in the league is good this year. Uh, you know, so you got just as much chance as any uh, to beat uh, someone else. And the Lions came along at the right time. And, uh, you know, they're feeling pretty good about themselves as they go against uh, 
much improved Bengal team. Is it as simple as, okay, run the football efficiently and effectively and play good defense, they're going to win games. If we don't run the ball well enough and have to throw it, we're going to struggle. The last five games, when they've been able to run the ball 30 times or more, they get three wins. When they've had to throw it 30 times or more, they have two losses. So is it that simple? Is, is the formula contingent on getting those two running backs going and then playing solid defense? Yeah, that's true. The only thing I would just say to that is sometimes you can't run the ball. They don't let you run the ball. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's not like, yeah, it's the formula, run the ball and play action, and, and Teddy's pretty good. You know, he's an efficient. Uh, last week he was 18 out of 25 for 180 yards. No, that's pretty much Teddy Bridgewater. Two touchdowns, no no turnovers. I think only one sack. But sometimes, you know, if they play seven in the box, uh, you can't run the ball. And uh, sometimes you go against some defensive linemen and, and inside linebackers that it's not easy to block those guys. So, um, yeah, they would love to run the ball 30 times. But uh, I'll tell you another thing. Here's, here's one more wrench into that formula. The defense, as good as it is, three times this year, after two drives, they've been down 10 nothing. They've been down 10 nothing before the offense gets its fourth offensive play. And so that takes you out of your running rhythm. You know, uh, you're, this offense is not built, you know, primarily because Teddy's not a, uh, you know, he's not a 25-yard down-the-field passer. He's much more patient. You know, his arm strength isn't isn't there with Josh Allen or anything or Patrick Mahomes. But when they're down 10 nothing, you know, they come out of their game. They, they just don't get into an offensive rhythm. And uh, that's happened three times to them this year. So the defense, as good as they look statistically, they tend to not show up until the second quarter. And, uh, you know, then they – you know, then they tighten things up. and But it's been those slow starts that it hasn't been a complimentary defense with an offense that does need to run the ball and, and use play action. In those three games, Mike, did they come out flat? One of them was... <laughs> That's a yeah. little joke with Dan and I. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, Fangio always says that, you know, when, when you're getting, you know, it's like baseball, when you're getting no hit, you know, you look flat. Uh, you know, you can't hit that when, when you're, when, when the other team is steamrolling you, you know, like, uh, one of them was that Cleveland Browns game. You might've saw it on Thursday night and Cleveland had their top two running backs out their uh, Mayfield was out and they just ran it down the Broncos throats. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they looked pretty flat that day. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I know what you guys are getting at. And, uh, you know, that was the Cowboys, right? The Broncos jumped on. The one time they, the defense had a, had a big uh, a fourth down stop on the first two drives. And uh, the Broncos jumped on top. And Jerry Jones says, that was the flattest I've ever seen our team. And, uh, you know, when you get punched in the nose, uh, I guess you come out flat. Yep. Your nose is flat, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Kliss from Denver is our guest. Mike, three years ago, uh, the Bengals and the Broncos were both in the market for a new head coach. Cincinnati, like a lot of other teams in the NFL that year, looked for a young, offensive-minded head coach and hired 
Zach Taylor, and the Broncos took the opposite approach. They went for an older guy who had been a longtime defensive coach, Vic Fangio. What have been your impressions of Vic Fangio over the last two and a half years? By the way, I'll give you a little anecdote there. The Broncos had a five-man finalist list. Zach Taylor was interviewed. Uh, he was interviewed right before Vic Fangio, and uh, ostensibly Elway's grand plan was Fangio was going to be the head coach, and he wanted Zach Taylor, who was then the quarterback coach for the Rams. As you guys know, he made a big leap to head coach, and uh, he had never been a coordinator before. Elway wanted him as the offensive coordinator here. That was uh, He wanted a young offensive coordinator. It was going to be Zach Taylor, and, um, and, and uh, Fangio was going to be his defensive coordinator slash head coach. But uh, you guys uh, threw a wrench into that and uh, by, by going ahead and hiring him as the head coach. And, you know, Fangio, I think, like Zach Taylor, he's had some growing pains. Vic's not a rah-rah guy. Uh, he's, he's low-key. And when you're not winning, you know, they say he doesn't have enough fire. And when you're not winning, he doesn't know about offense. The offense has struggled here. Uh, really since 2014, not even since Peyton left, since the year before Peyton left. Uh, Peyton's last year was nine touchdowns, 17 interceptions. So they've struggled for a while on offense. Uh, but now that he's, uh, but now that uh, they've started to win, they've won four of their last six. You know, Fangio's getting credit for staying the course, for not panicking. Um, you know, everything is the same. You know, it's business as, as usual. I think, uh, you know, if you had done this interview six weeks ago, I would have said I, it didn't look good for Vic, you know, coaching after this season. Now it seems like, uh, you know, this team is really pointing up and he's got a real chance to uh, coach next year with the Broncos. Uh, you got a, a, a dynamic duo at running back and in the secondary. You have... Gordon yeah. and Williams. Gordon and Williams are combined for 1,400 plus yards and, and 10 touchdowns rushing. And and then in the secondary, Sertan has four interceptions. Simmons has five. If you had yeah. to pick, which dynamic duo has been the most important to the success of the Broncos this year? Oh, ah, uh, that's a, that that's a. That's a good one. Um, Simmons, as, as a safety, is generally partnered up with Kareem Jackson, who's also a good player. Uh, you guys know him. He's been in the league 12 years. Sertan is a, is a rookie fine. I don't know. Uh, that is, I, I, I guess I don't, I guess I don't want to pick on that one because uh, you're right. You just pick the strength of the team. You know, the, um, you know they, they need a little more than that in the passing game on offense. And they need a little more, you know, beefy men to stop the run on defense. Um, but those are those are your your four best players here, um, all, all around. The biggest upgrade, though, that this team has made, guys, has been. And you know, I know he doesn't get much credit, but the biggest upgrade has been a quarterback. Um, Drew Locke, who has far more talent, uh, just was way more careless with the football. Teddy, who's limited in his abilities, is, is very smart and, uh, and takes care of the football and, and does things like convert third and sixes, you know, uh, 
he, he may throw it five yards, and the guy's got to run a couple to, to convert it, but but he does things like that. And uh, so I really think that's why the Broncos are seven and six. You you picked out the strengths there, those four players, and then at quarterback, they're just it's it's just more winning football at that position this year. Yeah, and Vic Fangio, being a defensive-oriented head coach, I bet one thing he can't stand is a quarterback that turns it over, that's for sure. Final question, Mike, and appreciate the time you've carved. Special teams, the punt game. Uh, yeah. The, the Broncos are 10th in the league returning punts, and they're 8th covering punts. Kickoff returns. They're 31st in the league returning them and 32nd in the league covering them, allowing almost 38 yards per return, 102-yard touchdown. Why, why the up and down? They've, they've blocked three kicks. You know, I mean, they, they've had their ups and downs. It's almost like a roller coaster. The Bengals have had some roller coasters in some areas. Why the roller coaster in special teams? Yeah, that, 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 and it's been like that for uh, three or four years. Um, I always say the kick. You know, they saw their kickoff return uh, coverage last week. Uh, McManus kicked six touchbacks out of six kickoffs. You know, here in the Mile High Air, why is you know just boot them all out? You know, and and maybe that's what Fangio uh, finally told uh, Tom McMahon to do: just boot them all out and let them start at the twenty-five. The Lions, all six uh, kickoff. They they started at the twenty-five all six times on them off a McManus kickoff. And that's one reason why I was special teams uh, player of the week. So uh, that solves that problem. Uh, you know, return, it's not dynamic. But, um, you know, they've, they have had injuries. And, and you guys know when you have injuries, it filters down to the back end of the roster. And the back end of the roster is where the special teamers are. And that has been a steady flow. It, it's never been consistent. Um, especially... At the inside, I talked about inside linebacker. Inside linebacker is the body type that you want um, on special teams. And so that's been a revolving door. Um, that's, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's part of it, too. And, you know, I don't know, maybe Tom McMahon has a system in place that, uh, that uh, works if everybody's uh, executing, but if... Uh, you know, one little uh, cog in the wheel uh, slips up, it messes up everything. It all falls apart. And um, that's what's happened. You know, this year you said it was uh, kickoff returns. They stink at uh, the previous year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was probably uh, punt returns they, they, they stunk at and were pretty good at kickoff returns. I just think it's just the, the turnover at the back end of the roster because of injuries. That's probably the biggest culprit. Sunday's game in Denver starts at 4.05 Cincinnati time, and the Broncos are favored by two and a half. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.